0: Welcome to Fast Asleep. You're going to be glad you're here. Because it's rolled doll time again. Nope, sorry, it is still not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Ah, but you can scroll back to earlier fast asleep episodes for Um Genesis and Catastrophe, that's one, and poison. Ooh, that's another one. Two of his amazing short stories today we've got well let's just put it this way you should be aware that it's it's not that kind of pool but i guess it i guess it is a dip so tuck in everybody for roll dolls dip in the pool On the morning of the third day, the sea calmed. Even the most delicate passengers, those who had not been seen around the ship since sailing time, emerged from their cabins and crept up onto the sun deck, where the deck steward gave them chairs and tucked rugs around their legs and left them lying in rows, their faces upturned to the pale almost heatless January sun. It had been moderately rough the first two days, and this sudden calm and the sense of comfort that it brought created a more genial atmosphere over the whole ship. By the time evening came, the passengers, with Twelve hours of good weather behind them were beginning to feel confident. And at eight o'clock that night, the main dining room was filled with people eating and drinking with the assured, complacent air of seasoned sailors. The meal was not half over when the passengers became aware by a slight friction between their bodies and the seats of their chairs, that, well, the big ship had actually started rolling again. It was very gentle at first, just a slow, lazy leaning to one side and then to the other, but it was enough to cause a subtle, immediate change of mood over the whole room. A few of the passengers glanced up from their food, hesitating, waiting, almost listening for the next roll, smiling nervously, little secret glimmers of apprehension in their eyes. Now, some were completely unruffled. Some were openly smug, while a number of the smug ones, making jokes about food and weather in order to torture the few who were beginning to suffer. The movement of the ship then became rapidly more and more violent. And only five or six minutes after the first roll had been noticed, oh, she was swinging heavily from side to side passengers bracing themselves in their chairs, leaning against the pole as, well, in a car cornering. At last, the really bad roll came, and Mr. William Baudible, sitting at the purser's table, saw his plate of poached turbot with hollandaise sauce sliding suddenly away from under his fork. There was a flutter of excitement, everybody reaching for plates and wine glasses. Why, Mrs. Renshaw, seated at the purser's right, gave a little scream and clutched that gentleman's arm. Oh, it's going to be a dirty night, the purser said, looking at Mrs. Renshaw. I, I think it's blowing up for a very dirty night. And there was the faintest suggestion of relish in the way he said it. A steward came hurrying up and sprinkled water on the tablecloth between the plates. The excitement subsided. Most of the passengers continued with their meal. A small number, including Mrs. Renshaw, got carefully to their feet and threaded their ways with a kind of concealed haste between the tables and through the doorway. Well, the purser said, there she goes. He glanced around with approval at the remainder of his flock who were sitting quiet, looking complacent, their faces reflecting openly that extraordinary pride that travelers seemed to take in in being recognized as good sailors. When the eating was finished and the coffee had been served, Mr. Bottable, who had been unusually grave and thoughtful since the rolling started, suddenly stood up and carried his cup of coffee around to Mrs. Renshaw's vacant place next to the purser. He seated himself in her chair and then immediately leaned over and began to whisper urgently in the purser's ear. Excuse me, he said, but could you tell me something, please? The purser, small and fat and red, bent forward to listen. What's the trouble, Mr. Baudible? What I want to know is this. The man's face was anxious and the purser was watching it. What I want to know is, will the captain already have made his estimate on the day's run, you know, for the auction pool? I mean, before it began to get rough like this. The purser, who had prepared himself to receive a personal confidence, smiled and leaned back in his seat to relax his full belly. Well, I should say so, yes, he answered. He didn't bother to whisper his reply, although automatically he lowered his voice a bit, as one does when answering a whisperer. Uh, About how long do you think he did this? How long ago? Oh well, sometime this afternoon. He usually does it in the afternoon. About what time? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Around four o'clock, I should guess. Hmm. Now, tell me another thing. How does the captain decide which number it shall be? Uh, does he take a lot of trouble over that? The purser looked at the anxious, frowning face of Mr. Baudible, and he smiled, knowing quite sure what the man was driving at. Well, you see, the captain has a little conference with the navigating officer, and they study the weather and a lot of other things, and then they make their estimate. Mr. Baudible nodded, pondering this answer for a moment, and then he said, do do you think the captain knew there was bad weather coming today? Oh, well, I, I couldn't tell you, the purser replied. He was looking into the small black eyes of the other man, seeing the two single little sparks of excitement dancing in their centers. I I really couldn't tell you, Mr. Baudible. I wouldn't know. Well, if this gets any worse, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it might be worth buying some of the low numbers. What do you think? Oh, the whispering was more urgent, more anxious now. Well, perhaps it will, the purser said. I doubt the old man allowed for a really rough night. It was pretty calm this afternoon when he made the estimate. The others at the table mm, had become silent and were trying to hear. Watching the purser with that intent, half-cocked, listening look that you can see also at the racetrack when they are trying to overhear a trainer talking about his chance, the slightly open lips, the upstretched eyebrows, the head forward and cocked a little to one side, that desperately straining, half-hypnotized, listening look that comes to all of them when they are hearing something straight from the horse's mouth. Now, Suppose you were allowed to buy a number, which one would you choose today? Mr. Bottable whispered. Oh, I, I don't even know what the range is yet, the purser patiently answered. They don't announce the range till the auction starts after dinner. And I'm uh, not, not very, very good at it anyway. I'm only the purser, you know. At that point, Mr. Baudible stood up. Well, excuse me all, he said, and he walked carefully away over the swaying floor between the other tables. And twice, he had to catch hold of the back of a chair to steady himself against the ship's roll. The sun deck, please, he said to the elevator man. Oh, the wind caught him "'full in the face as he stepped out onto the open deck. "'He staggered and grabbed hold of the rail "'and held on tight with both hands. "'And he stood there looking out over the darkening sea "'where the great waves were welling up high "'and white horses were riding against the wind "'with plumes of spray behind them as they went.' It was pretty bad out there, wasn't it, sir? The elevator man said on the way down. Mr. Baudible was combing his hair back into place with a small red comb. Do you think we've slackened speed at all on account of the weather? He asked. Oh, my word, yes, sir. We slacked off considerable since this started. Oh, you've got to slacken off speed in weather like this or... Why, you'll be throwing the passengers all over the ship. Down in the smoking room, people were already gathering for the auction. They were grouping themselves politely around the various tables. The men a little stiff in their dinner jackets, a little pink and overshaved and stiff beside their cool, white-armed women. Mr. Baudible, took a chair close to the auctioneer's table. He crossed his legs, folded his arms, and settled himself in his seat with the rather desperate air of a man who had made a tremendous decision and refuses to be frightened. The pool, he was telling himself, would probably be... Around seven thousand dollars—that was almost exactly what it had been the last two days. With the numbers selling for between three and four hundred apiece. Now, being a British ship, they did it in pounds. But he—he he liked to do his thinking in his own currency. Seven thousand dollars was plenty of money. Oh my goodness, yes. And what he would do, he would get them to pay him in hundred dollar bills and he would take it ashore in the inside pocket of his jacket. No problem there. And right away, yes, right away, he would buy a Lincoln convertible. He would pick it up on the way from the ship and drive it home just for the pleasure of seeing Ethel's face when she came out the front door and looked at it. Oh, wouldn't that be something to see Ethel's face when he glided up to the door in a brand new pale green Lincoln convertible. Hello, honey he would say, speaking very casual. I just thought I'd get you a little present. <laughs> Saw it in the window as I went by, so I <laughs> I thought of you and how you were always wanting one. You like it, honey, he would say. You like the color? And then he would watch her face. The auctioneer was standing up behind his table now. Ladies and gentlemen, he shouted. The captain, has estimated the day's run, ending midday tomorrow at 515 miles. As usual, we will take the ten numbers on either side of it to make up the range. Now, that makes it 505 to 525. And of course, for those who think the true figure will be still farther away, there'll be low field and high field, sold separately as well. Now, we'll draw the first number out of the hat. Here we are. 512. The room became quiet. The people sat still in their chairs, all eyes Watching the auctioneer there was a certain tension in the air and as the bids got higher the tension grew this wasn't a game or a joke you could be sure of that by the way one man would look across at another who had raised his bid smiling perhaps but only the lips smiling the eyes bright absolutely cold. Number 512 was knocked down for 110 pounds. The next three or four numbers fetched uh, roughly the same amount. Ooh. The ship was rolling heavily and each time she went over, the wooden paneling on the walls creaked as if it were going to split passengers, held on to the arms of their chairs, concentrating upon the auction. Low field, the auctioneer called out. The next number is low field. Mr. Baudible sat up very straight and tense. He would wait, he had decided, until the others had finished bidding. Then he would jump in and make the last bid. He had figured that there must be at least $500 in his account at the bank, at home, probably nearer six. That was about 200 pounds, a little over 200 pounds. This ticket wouldn't fetch more than that. As you all know, the auctioneer was saying, "Lowfield field covers every number below the smallest number in the range. In this case, every number below 505. So if you think this ship is going to cover less than 505 miles in the 24 hours ending at noon tomorrow. You'd better get in and buy this number. So, what am I bid? It went clear up to 130 pounds. Others, besides Mr. Bottable, seem to have noticed... (laughs) The weather was rough. One hundred and forty fifty There. It stopped. The auctioneer raised his hammer. Going at one hundred and fifty sixty, sixty. mister Botable called, and every face in the room turned and looked at him. Uh seventy eighty. Mr. Baudible called. Ninety. Two hundred! Mr. Baudible called. He wasn't stopping now. Not for anyone. There was a pause. Any advance on two hundred pounds? Sit still, he told himself. Sit absolutely still. And don't look up. It's unlucky to look up. Hold your breath. No one's going to bid you up so long as you hold your breath. Going for 200 pounds. The auctioneer had a pink, bald head, and there were little beads of sweat sparkling on top of it. Going. Mr. Bottable held his breath. Going. Gone. The man banged the hammer on the table. Mr. Bottable wrote out a check and handed it to the auctioneer's assistant. Then he settled back in his chair to wait for the finish. He did not want to go to bed before he knew how much there was in the pool. They added it up after the last number had been sold and it came to 2,100-odd-pounds. Well, that was around $6,000, 90% to go to the win- winner, 10% to seamen's Charities, 90% of 6000 was 5400 Well, that was enough. He could buy the Lincoln convertible, and there would be something left over, too. With this gratifying thought, he went off happy and excited. To his cabin. When Mr. Baudible awoke the next morning, he lay quite still for several minutes with his eyes shut, listening for the sound of the gale, waiting for the roll of the ship. (laughs) There was no sound of any gale. Oh, and the ship was not rolling He jumped up and peered out of the porthole. The sea, oh, Jesus God, was smooth as glass. The great ship was moving through it fast, obviously making up for time lost during the night. (sighs) Mr. Baudible turned away and sat slowly down on the edge of his bunk. A fine electricity of fear beginning to prickle under the skin of his stomach. Oh, he hadn't a hope now. One of the higher numbers was certain to win it after this. Oh, my God, he said aloud. What shall I do? What, for example, would Ethel say? It was simply not possible to tell her that he had spent almost all of their two years' savings on a ticket in the ship's pool. Mm. Nor was it possible to keep the matter secret. To do that, he would have to tell her to stop drawing checks. And what about the monthly installments on the television set and the Encyclopedia Britannica? Already? He could see the anger and contempt in the woman's eyes. The blue becoming gray, and the eyes themselves narrowing, as they always did when there was anger in them. Oh my God, what shall I do? There was no point in pretending that he had the slightest chance now. (laughs) Not unless the goddamn ship started to go backward. They'd have to put her in reverse and go full speed astern and keep right on going if he was to have any chance of winning it now. Well, Mm. (laughs) maybe he should ask the captain to do just that. Offer him 10% of the profits. (laughs) Offer him more if he wanted it. (laughs) Mr. Botable started to giggle and then very suddenly he stopped his eyes and mouth both opening wide in a kind of shocked surprise for it was at this moment that the idea came it hit him hard and quick and he jumped up from his bed terribly excited ran over to the porthole and looked out again well he thought Why not? Why ever not? The sea was calm, and he wouldn't have any trouble keeping afloat until they picked him up. He had a vague feeling that someone had done this thing before, but that didn't prevent him from doing it again. The ship would have to stop and lower a boat, and the boat would have to go back maybe half a mile to get him, and then it would have to return to the ship and be hoisted back on board. Oh, it would take at least an hour, the whole thing. An hour was about 30 miles. Oh, it would knock 30 miles off the day's run. That would do it. Low field would be sure to win it then. Just so long as he made certain someone saw him falling over. Ah, but that'd be simple to arrange. Oh, and he'd better wear light clothes, something easy to swim in, sports clothes. Yeah, that was it. He would dress as though he were going to play some deck tennis, just a shirt, a pair of shorts and tennis shoes. Oh. And leave his watch behind. What was the time? 9.15. The sooner the better then. Now, do it now and get it over with. Have to do it soon because the time limit was midday. Oh, Mr. Bottable was both frightened and excited when he stepped out onto the sun deck in his sports clothes. His small body was wide at the hips, tapering upward to extremely narrow sloping shoulders so that it resembled in shape at any rate, a bollard. His white skinny legs were covered with black hairs and he came cautiously out on deck, treading softly in his tennis shoes. Nervously, he looked around him there was only one other person in sight, an elderly woman with very thick ankles and immense buttocks, who was leaning over the rail, staring at the sea. She was wearing a coat of Persian lamb, and the collar was turned up, so Mr. Baudible couldn't see her face. He stood still, examining her, carefully, from a distance. Yes? Yes? he told himself. She would probably do. She would probably give the alarm just as quickly as anyone else, but... uh, Wait one minute. Take your time, William Baudible. Take your time. Remember what you told yourself a few minutes ago in the cabin when you were changing, you remember that? The thought of leaping off a ship into the ocean a thousand miles from the nearest land had made Mr. Bonneville a cautious man at the best of times. Unusually advertent. He was by no means satisfied yet that this woman he saw before him was absolutely certain to give the alarm when he made his jump. Now, in his opinion, there were two possible reasons why she might fail him. Firstly, she might be deaf and blind. Well, it was not very probable, but on the other hand, it might be so. And why take a chance? All he had to do was check it by talking to her for a moment beforehand. Secondly, and this will demonstrate how suspicious the mind of a man can become when it is working through self-preservation and fear secondly it had occurred to him that the woman might herself be the owner of one of the high numbers in the pool and as such would have a sound financial reason for not wishing to stop the ship Mr. Baudible recalled that people had killed their fellows for far less than $6,000. Oh, it was happening every day in the newspapers. So, why take a chance on that? Either check on it first, be sure of your facts, find out about it by a, a little polite conversation, And then, provided that the woman appeared also to be a pleasant, kindly human being, the thing was a cinch. And he could leap overboard with a light heart. Mr. Bottable advanced casually toward the woman and took up a position beside her, leaning on the rail. Hello, he said, pleasantly. She turned and smiled at him, a surprise surprisingly lovely, almost a beautiful smile, although the face itself was very plain. Oh, hello, she answered him. Check, Mr. Baudible told himself on the first question. Yeah, she's Mm -hmm. neither blind nor deaf. Tell me, he said, coming straight to the point. What did you think of the auction last night? Auction? she asked, frowning. Auction? What auction? Oh, you know, that silly old thing they have in the lounge after dinner, selling numbers on the ship's daily run. I just wondered what you thought about it. She shook her head, and again she smiled a sweet and pleasant smile that had in it perhaps the trace of an apology. Oh, huh, I'm very lazy. She said. I always go to bed early. I have my dinner in bed. It's so restful to have dinner in bed. Mr. Baudible smiled back at her and began to edge away. Well, gotta go and get my exercise now, he said. Never miss my exercise in the morning. It was nice seeing you, very nice seeing you. He retreated about ten paces. And the woman let him go without looking around. Everything was now in order. The sea was calm. He was lightly dressed for swimming. And there were almost certainly no man-eating sharks in this part of the Atlantic. Oh, and there was this pleasant, kindly old woman to give the alarm. It was a question now only of well, whether the ship would be delayed long enough to swing the balance in his favor, almost certainly it would. In any event, he could do a little to help in that direction himself. He could make a few difficulties about getting hauled up into the lifeboat, swim around a bit, back away from them, surreptitiously as they tried to come up close to fish him out every minute every second gained would help him win he began to move forward again to the rail but now a new fear assailed him oh would he get caught in the propeller Oh, he had heard about that happening to persons falling off the sides of big ships. And then, well, he wasn't going to fall. He was going to jump. And that was a very different thing. Provided he jumped out far enough, he would be sure to clear the propeller. Mr. Bottable advanced slowly to a position at the rail about 20 yards away from the woman. She wasn't looking at him now. So much the better. He didn't want her watching him as he jumped off. So long as no one was watching, he would be able to say afterward that he had slipped and fallen by accident. He peered over the side of the ship. That was a long, long drop. Come to think of it now, he might easily hurt himself badly if he hit the water flat. Wasn't there someone who once split his stomach open that way, doing a belly flop from the high dive? Well, he must jump straight and land feet first. Go in like a knife. Yes, sir. The water seemed cold and deep and gray. It made him shiver to look at it, but, well, it was now or never. Be a man, William Bottable. Be a man. All right then. Now, uh, here, whew, here goes. He climbed up onto the wide wooden top rail, stood there, poised, balancing for three terrifying seconds, and then he leaped. He leaped up and out as far as he could go and at the same time he shouted help 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 he shouted as he fell then he hit the water and went under well now when the first shout for help sounded the woman who was leaning on the rail started up and gave a a little jump of surprise she looked around quickly and saw Sailing past her through the air, this small man dressed in white shorts and tennis shoes spread-eagled and shouting as he went. For a moment, she looked as though she weren't quite sure what she ought to do. Throw a life belt? Run away and give the alarm? Or, Or simply turn and yell? She drew back a pace from the rail and swung half around, facing up to the bridge. And for this brief moment, she remained motionless, tense, undecided. Well, and then, huh, almost at once, oh, she seemed to relax. And she leaned forward far over the rail, staring at the water where it was turbulent in the ship's wake. Oh, soon a tiny, round, black head appeared in the foam. An arm was raised about it, once, twice, vigorously waving, and a small, far-away voice was heard calling something that was difficult to understand. The woman leaned still farther over the rail, trying to keep the little bobbing black speck in sight, but soon, very soon, it was such a long way away that she couldn't even be sure it was there at all. After a while, another woman came out on the deck. This one was bony, and angular, and she wore horn-rimmed spectacles. She spotted the first woman and walked over to her, treading the deck in the deliberate military fashion of all spinsters. So there you are, she said. The woman with the fat ankles turned and looked at her, but said nothing. I've been searching for you, the bony one continued, searching all over. It's very odd, the woman with the fat ankles said. A man dived overboard just now with his clothes on. Oh, nonsense. Oh, yes. He said he wanted to get some exercise and then he dived in and didn't even bother to take his clothes off. Oh, you'd better come down now, the bony woman said. Her mouth had suddenly become firm, her whole face sharp and alert, and she spoke less kindly than before. And don't you ever go wandering about on the deck alone like this again. You know quite well you're meant to wait for me. Oh, yes, Maggie, the woman with the fat ankles answered. And again, she smiled, a tender, trusting smile. And she took the hand of the other one and allowed herself to be led away across the deck. Oh, such a nice man, she said. He waved to me. Good night.